1: What kind of story would you tell yourself if you showed up one day for work, and I'm talking about a job that means something to you, and they hand you your pink slip? Now, would you create a woe is me story? And then would you expand that story into a, you know, a kind of novel that defines the next few years of your life? Or would you ask yourself an empowering question like, how can I make this great? Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Luis DiBianco. Our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you a download for free of your favorite audiobook. You get to choose from 180,000 titles. They will also give you a one-month free trial of their entire service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You can enjoy this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and, of course, on the website, changeyourstorypodcast.com. Also on the website, you will find my free gift to you, a powerful transformational ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Apply the secrets in that book to go from invisible to visible and from visible to sought after and highly in demand. I would love to know what you're getting from this show and also what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send me your comments to lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. I promise to read all of your comments and to choose some of them to share with all of the other storytellers on a future show. Now, today's guest is a man who got his pink slip a long time ago, and he consciously or unconsciously asked an empowering question. The answer he got took him on an incredible journey He became a clothier to stars in business, sports, and entertainment. He built a mobile phone empire. He became a leader in the Boy Scouts of America. Andy created a successful internet marketing business that is still going strong today. Now, he was able to do all this by creating some great stories and living into them. Now, it's my honor and great pleasure to welcome a business associate and a dear friend with whom I have shared a lot of laughter. Lonnie Robinson, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
0: Louis DiBianco, my favorite mobster. (laughs) 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 I gotta tell you, man, I am super excited to be here. Uh, I was telling my wife earlier, I said, you know, I haven't done an interview in quite some while about five or six months or so. And I started feeling a little little bit of butterflies. But you know what? That's always inspiring for me because it it, it makes me uh, rise to the occasion, so to speak. (laughs) I
1: I don't think you're going to have to do much to rise to the occasion. My friend, you've you've got a great life story. And, uh, you know, I know that you can talk, my man. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think we should just, you know, like begin at the beginning. Like where was Lonnie Robinson born?
0: Wow. Okay, great. Uh, well, 49.3 years ago, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was born in a real small town in North Carolina called Hamlet. Now, Hamlet is, is so small that, that most, most have never heard of it. Uh, however, I'm proud to say that it's also the home of someone that you and I both admire, the legendary jazz saxophonist John Coltrane.
1: Oh my god. Oh, thanks for telling me that, man.
0: <laughs> yes, sir.
1: Whoa.
0: Yes, man. I tell you, um he he really inspired me when I was when I was in middle school, um and I I I joined the I joined the band. I joined the symphonic band and the jazz band. And You know, we went to band that first day and we we got to select the instrument that we want. Well, it was an easy choice for me because of my affiliation with John Coltrane. So I immediately chose the alto saxophone and learned to play that pretty well. And then I moved on to the soprano sax and baritone sax and just had a really good experience in in band and uh, just, man, incredible. I don't get to play as much as I used to, but really great experience.
1: You you know what's amazing about it? every time I do an interview with someone that I quote unquote know, mm-hmm. I learn I learn something brand new. Like I mean, I've known you now for a number of years, and like. Yeah. Here we are at the beginning of this interview. I never knew that you played the saxophone, man. <laughs> Damn. Now, you're, you're going to have to, maybe, maybe at the end of this interview, you're going to have to pull out one of those instruments and, and, oh, blow, <laughs> and, and blow us a few notes. Maybe we can end on, on, on Blue Train or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, so listen, did, did you actually see him live? I guess you did. Well, um, no, you know he was he was
0: before my time. Um, John Coltrane, I want to say was born in like the late forties, so he's more my mom's age now. I mean, you know, of course we you know we lost him at such an early time in life, but um, yeah, I didn't. I actually listened to all his music. Um, One of my favorite albums is "A Love Supreme," and of course we all know uh, his song "Giant Steps," which is just incredible. But yeah, I didn't get to meet him. I I I I can tell you this, I've been I've been inside of his home. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. The the John Coltrane Museum. Uh we have a John Coltrane, uh, it's a center in, in Hamlet now. So they made his they made his home a historical
1: site. Wow. So hey, the, did, did you know that I, I did meet him? Is that right? Yeah, man. I met him in New York City because I mean, of course. He was, uh, you know, that's one of the main spots where he was uh, building his career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a kid, you know, in university, and I went down one night with my dad to a place called, uh, was then called a the Half Note, it was a a club right on the on the waterfront on the um, the. Um, The Hudson River waterfront. And Mm -hmm. and he was playing there with the legendary quartet. And and I remember going up to him and after a set, because it was a small club. And here I am talking to him. And you know, I asked him how long he'd been playing music. And then he said to me, you know, I stopped playing for five years. I said, really? I said, what brought you back? He said, I didn't like working.
0: Now, that's a good reason. <laughs> I, I, I get it.
1: <laughs> now, for the audience members are going, who is this John Coltrane? Well, listen, shame on you. You, know, uh, you may not be jazz fans, but he was not only a great jazz musician, he's a man who changed the direction of jazz. He was a great innovator. Um, look him up. Coltrane, C-O-L-T-R-A-N-E. Wow, that, that, that's great to know, man. So yeah. let me ask you did you come from a big family, Lonnie? Um,
0: actually, no, I didn't. I actually came from a pretty small family compared to most. Uh, most of my friends had big families four or five, six siblings. Uh, my dad was, was actually an only child, and my mom has only one sibling, her brother. And, and I'm the oldest of, of three kids. And my wife, Sheila, and I, we have one awesome son. Spencer, who just turned eighteen last month, mm-hmm. so it looks like we're we're keeping up uh, with the family tradition, so to speak. But you know what, Lewis, I, I hope that one day to die with uh, to die a very old man, very 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 old, I might add, uh, you know, with a ton of grandchildren and great grandchildren hanging around my bedside, you know, talking about how awesome I was.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic, man. That, you know, and I'm that, I I, I I wish it for you too, you know, not death, but that you live a long. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, I don't know, bro. Yeah, I'm an only child. You know that. Is that right? I didn't see. I didn't know that, Louis. See, there you go. I'm an only child. Yeah. Now, so briefly, what was your childhood like, man?
0: Man, my childhood was phenomenal, and I'll tell you why. Um, I got to, you know, it's my childhood. the the greatness of my childhood wasn't really recognized until I became an adult. I didn't really, I guess I should say, I didn't really realize how good I had it. Uh You know, I, am unfortunate. Well, I don't say unfortunately, but I didn't, I don't have one of those rags to riches stories. Uh, Although I do respect those stories. I got to be honest that I really don't have that. My dad was very successful. He was in the air force and he, he was a pilot. And we got, to, we got to live all over the world. I actually spent quite a few years living in, in Mainz, Germany. As a matter of fact, I spent a lot of my childhood there and, and going to uh, schools that, you know, people came from different ba- backgrounds and different ethnic backgrounds. And I got to learn a lot of things. I got to do a lot of things that some of my friends today didn't get to experience until they were, you know, our age now. Um, I, I got to go to the Swiss Alps. Uh, you know, hung out in Italy and France. And um, we actually went to the Berlin Wall. We went to Anne Frank's house. Um, we did so wow. many incredible things wow. growing up. Um, I got to learn, you know, how to speak a little German, speak Italian, speak some French. And and it, I had to learn those things because the people that were around me, they were from those different cultures. So. You know, my dad being overseas, uh, being there, our family was afforded that opportunity to travel back and forth from the United States to, to Europe. And it's just an incredible experience. And as I said, I, you, don't, you don't really appreciate those things as a child. Uh, it's just when you, when, you become an, when, you, when you grow up and you start to appreciate life and the magnificence of the planet and the people on this earth, you you start to see, you start to reflect and say, wow, I've had it pretty good.
1: Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, man. Now, do do you speak any German today?
0: Uh, Expectancy joy, just a Ah. little.
1: (laughs) So I'm I'm thinking of another internet marketer I believe you know. He may even be a friend of yours, Mario Brown.
0: Yes. And you know what's funny about that? (laughs) That That's so awesome that you mentioned Mario. Um, Mario's from Mainz, Germany, which is where I used to live yeah so we're actually from this we actually you know i lived where he was from Wow, so we have really good conversations about German
1: did you speak German to him too
0: uh just a little just uh-huh. a little just, uh-huh. his German is so good. I tell you what um, as i as i got old as i grew older um i didn't need i didn't need to speak german and I learned it as a very young kid. I started learning German when I was uh, six years old, maybe. Yeah, six years old. Started learning German and and picking it up. And as I got older, I got to the point where I could speak it fluently. Then I got to the point where I could understand it fluently. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then I got, well, only understand it fluently. And then I got to the point where I wasn't speaking it too much. So I kind of lost both. But, you know, you have those you have those mind lapses where, where you know our mind really holds more than we give it credit for, as you know.
1: Oh yeah, and you know, it's, you know, it's a parallel here. I mean, when I don't know if you know this, but when I was growing up, mm-hmm. uh, my parents were from Italy and they spoke Italian to me, so my first language was Italian. Yes. But when I started going to school in in New York. <laughs> I became very self-conscious of this whole image that people had about, you know, the immigrant kid, you know. And I I just kind of suppressed it. I think I was ashamed of it. And, like, I eventually, like today, I understand much more Italian than I can actually speak. But that was my first language, man.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, man.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but, you know, because so, uh, but I get them back by playing gangsters.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I said, what do you mean you, 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 you want to make me lose my language? I'm, I, I'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let me see. So when, when you grew up, when you were growing up, mm. uh, was there something specific? I always ask people that, like, you know, that in your mind as a kid, you thought you might want to do when you grew up?
0: Oh, yeah. I wanted to fly planes. I wanted to be my father. Oh, I I wanted, you know, my name is Lonnie Robinson. My dad's name was Lonnie Robinson and my my grandfather's name was Lonnie Robinson as well. And I tell you, I just my dad is is, I would have to say he was my biggest fan and I was his biggest fan as well. He he was my hero. Uh, He did. He did three tours of duty in Vietnam, four tours of duty in Vietnam, um, got injured and went back. Couldn't wait to go back. Didn't have to go back to Vietnam, but, but chose to do so. And just the stories that he taught me. Unfortunately, my dad was in my life for only 10 years. Uh, he passed away when I was 10 years old and, um, he was, uh, uh killed, killed by a drunk driver less than a mile from home. He was coming home from, from work. He was stationed at Fort Bragg, Pope Air Force Base. And, uh, we we lost him, and I tell you what he still he still has a huge impact on my life, um, thir- thirty nine years later, and just grateful to have had him in my life. But I aspired to be like him. He was a pilot, and those those visions of of being a pilot after he passed away just kind of dissipated a little bit. Um, i actually focused began to focus on wanting to do something else that he aspired to do once he retired from the air force, and like I said, I may have said he had uh about thirty he had exactly thirty days before retirement when he was killed
1: mm. yes that, and did his, did did they did they catch the person who did it
0: um yes, actually they did they, they were on the scene it was a pretty bad accident, so yes that was yeah, they did. Um,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's a
0: family. A family. Uh, kind of sad for them, family, and had a little baby, and um, everybody survived. But just, you know, I'm one of those people, man. It has that. You know, I think about I think about the victims, and and as well as the the, the people that create the uh, unfortunate experience, and and my heart goes out to to both. I mean, I lost my dad in that, but I often wondered. What, what changed their life to know that they were involved in that experience, that traumatic experience where somebody, somebody lost life? Um, a part of you, although, y- you know, you're angry, a part of you just wonders, you know, what are they going through? What have they experienced? And uh, just something to think about.
1: It's very powerful, man. its I mean, yeah, i that's a very powerful thing. Now, I'm going to blow your mind here because you just blew mine. Okay. You know, here, we are, here we are, like I said, we're friends, but mm-hmm. there are things we don't know about each other. Sure. My father was killed by a hit-and-run driver. Wow. Yeah, man. Wow. But, they, but this guy, they never found him. He just continued and he got away uh my father was 89 years of age he was in great health in fact his body was so strong that he lasted for six weeks after that and i mean how he didn't die immediately i don't know but he lasted for six weeks
0: man oh, wow yeah, yeah you know i saw i saw a picture of your dad
1: that's right i had it online
0: you had it on facebook i saw it and yeah it, it, gosh you guys look so much it's just incredibly Incredible. He, he had more hair than you, though. <laughs>
1: at, at that time. <laughs> that, was 19, <laughs> that was 1939, bro. <laughs> anyway, this is amazing, man. These are discoveries here. So let's get back to Lonnie. I want to know now, what, what, what schools did you go to, and did you like school?
0: Oh, I love school. Uh, I was one of those kids that that sat in the front of the class, man. I was
1: <laughs> oh, oh.
0: But I still got in trouble, don't get me wrong, because, you know, I I really exposed myself because I like to talk, as you already know. (laughs) That's not a newfound talent. (laughs) I like to talk even at at an early age. And uh, I actually always said it to front because I I just was, I was a sponge. I'm I'm still a sponge for information. And, uh, you know, I was the teacher's favorite as well as not the nightmare, but the, 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 the kid that, that talks so much. And I remember having to write 400 times. I will not talk in class and having to stay after school and, and you know, having to change seats because of the person beside me you like to talk as well. Um, I still talk. As a matter of fact, I, I got the opportunity to talk with one of my favorite <laughs> teachers, my, uh, my I believe she's my fourth grade teacher, fourth grade teacher, Miss Hannah. And Miss Hannah is still here and, and looking wonderful today. And and she actually posted on Facebook in front of all of my classmates that I was her favorite student. So that kind of validated.
1: Oh, man, you, you, you don't know how spooky this is becoming. We just, hit, we just hit another similarity.
0: Oh, no. Well, Lewis, you know, that's why we're connected, man. I mean, you yeah. I, 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 I hope you. I hope you allow me a place here to talk about how you changed my life and how oh you how God. you made some incredible things happen for me.
1: Whoa! I mean, so, I'd, sure, sure, I'd be great. I, I'd, <laughs> that, I'd be honored, but uh, let me tell you, man, I was a good student and I was also uh, a bad kid. And like, uh, as a matter of fact, I uh, I went to a a catholic high school uh in new york called mount saint michael. And by the way, you're not going to believe who else went there. How about Sean Combs? Puff Daddy. No. Yeah, he was in the house. Oh. <laughs> man. man.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, he went there.
1: He went there and uh oh. apparently I just I just found out that that he contributed a lot of money to one of their recent reunions. Like apparently he has a vodka company and he sent them yeah. they, they had this big golf tournament, and he sent them a whole bunch of vodka and stuff. But in terms, in terms of um, a uh, being a kid who was a problem to the school, I used to hang out with two other guys who were also really high academic achievers. And wow. the problem that but we were we were all of us we were always like. Creating trouble, so we had this history teacher, uh, Brother Brian, uh, affectionately or not so affectionately nicknamed Harpo, uh, and Harpo has spoken a monotone voice. And one day he took us aside and he goes, <laughs> "He says we were three Italian guys. He goes De Bianco, Fino, and DeSantis. You are proud, vain, and materialistic.'" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, hey bro, thanks for the compliments. Yes, thank that's, you. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm glad you noticed.
0: <laughs> like, let me write that down.
1: <laughs> and then he said to us, he asked us if we would if we would consider not hanging around together on campus. And we said, why? He said, because you guys, you know, you do so well in class, but your behavior is a bad influence on other people. <laughs> and, and we just kind of smiled and said, "Well, you know, thank you for sharing that, bro." But you know, of course, we didn't take it to heart. You know. <laughs> anyway, this is fun, but yeah, I, I I gotta keep getting back to you. Yeah, right?
0: That's, that's right.
1: <laughs> See, this is what we do. Right?
0: Exactly what we do.
1: We're gonna need a four-hour interview. Here. <laughs> So you know what we'll do? We'll do a series, the Lonnie Robinson series. We'll do it like every week. (laughs)
0: Sounds good. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) For the next nine weeks. Okay, so here we go. Um, uh, I I know your dad was a role model, but do you have any other role models when you're growing up?
0: Uh, Man, I tell you, my mom and and my dad, you know, I can't give give too many other people the credit. My mother and, and father, were, were awesome. After my, after my dad passed away, uh, my mom assumed that role of mother, father, and friend, and even brother and sister. She assumed that role. Here's something pretty interesting. Um, my mom was, was pregnant with my sister when my dad passed away. So Ooh, wow. my dad never got to, to know my sister and my sister, of course, never got to know who her father was. Woo. So so yeah, me being the oldest, I was only 10 years old. Um I had to grow up pretty fast, pretty fast, Lewis. I had to I had to assume that that leadership role as a as the big brother and assume that role as the leader of the family in in order to help my mom because my mom at that time didn't remarry. She didn't remarry really while we were kids. Mm. Uh she dedicated her life to getting a better education and working hard, and just being mother, father, and friend—that's the mm-hmm. best way I can describe her. She she was PTA president every year that I was in school. Uh, she attended all our football games. She attended marching bands. She attended everything that we did. She was there, and she assumed that role. And I'm sure she probably probably didn't want to do all those things, you know, going to baseball games and sitting out in the cold at football games, and all those things. She knew how important it was to us and you know, not having that father. And she worked really hard. And, and my grandfather, who I guess I, I should add my grandfather as well, because he was really the, the, the cornerstone of all of that as well. He, he jumped in and uh, he had always been there for us anyway, but he, he jumped in and, and played a pivotal role in, in, in our upbringing, so to speak.
1: Mm, wow. Wow. This is, this is wonderful, powerful stuff, man. I, I want to get into the, the kinds of work that you've done because, you know, it's interesting before you did say that you don't have a rags to riches story. But maybe not in terms of your upbringing, but certainly in the business, your business experience, there have been ups and there have been downs, right? Oh, yeah,
0: yes. You know,
1: why, why don't we start? Like, what, what, <laughs> what kinds of work have you done? You know, like, uh, let's begin with the more traditional stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I would tell you, more traditionally, I worked at a, worked at a restaurant <laughs> as a waiter.
1: Oh, uh, no. I, I, I did, too! I did,
0: too! <laughs> I worked at, while I was in school, I worked at this restaurant called uh, Daryl's 1890, and I was a waiter. Huh? And you know what? That was my first, first brush with entrepreneurship. And, and as you know, being a waiter, you really can control your own destiny. You get paid a very minimum wage. But you can make big tips. And there are two ways to make big tips. Way number one is have uh, people tip you really well. You know, so you would have to have huge parties of people that come in or you'd have to have people that were just generous tippers. And I always kept an eye out for both when I was when I was working. And way number two is you got to work extra hours. And I did that, too. And I was pretty strategic about it, you know, when there was. Uh, football games that were going on. I knew that people would come in after, after that and, and be happy if their team won and spend a lot of money. And uh, I knew that on Sundays was a really big time because families would come in. So I strategically worked out my schedule so that I could, could get that extra money and, and made more tips than a lot of other of my uh, fellow coworkers. So that was kind of my first brush. So I'm not ashamed of that. People laugh when you tell them you worked. I was a waiter and, and some people are shocked about that. But actually, it, it, it helped me uh, have extra money and be able to do things that, that I wanted to do. Challenge was, was working long hours. And, and that's what eventually, um, eventually kind of wore me out. And I, I started to, to seek something that, that I thought would be more fun. Then my next job was I worked at a clothing store. And at that clothing store, I sold uh, high end suits um high end clothing, and I met a lot of celebrities and and a lot of business uh, like attorneys and accountants and doctors would come in and 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 come in and buy clothing and having that entrepreneurial bug again it, which never stopped i mean i was i wanted, I was an entrepreneur uh, as a child, so having that later as an early adult. Was, was really easy for me because I had so much experience in wanting that and aspiring to be successful. So then I created my own clothing business and, and started really catering to the same type of clientele that I was serving in the company that I worked for and, and ended up working, you know, selling to a lot of attorneys, doctors, uh, NFL football players, NBA, and just was extraordinary. It was a very good business for me. Um, of course I, I, I got kind of tired of that, wanted something more, wanted something challenging, and I got into the to the wireless business.
1: wait, wait, before you go to the wireless business, bro, there was something I read that I mean you just you're not gonna get away without talking about this. You <laughs> met in your clothing business, you met Michael Jordan, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, and absolutely. you said you said on your website that there's a story around Michael Jordan and you losing your hair. <laughs> so I, I got, we got to know that. We got to know that.
0: <laughs> you know, I did a podcast and I think I hinted to that. I said, that's another story for another time. And, and people always send me that message. What's that story? This, Lewis, this is the first time in the media world that I'm actually in public that I'm actually going to share that story.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: <laughs> it's pretty cool. All right, so uh, as you know, Michael, is a, he, he's a big golfer. He, he, I, I, knew, I knew him. I met Michael when he wasn't that good of a golfer. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I met him in his early NBA days when he, had, I think, won only two NBA titles. Um, and, and knew him a little bit before that. The story is one of my good friends is one of his best friends and that's kind of how the connection began to that's how the pieces connected so hanging out with my good friend uh led me to hanging out with with Michael we played golf on several summers and just you know I really got to know him he's an incredible guy just the most humble normal guy that you could ever meet uh I always I always tell people you don't see Uh, Michael Jordan hanging out with a lot of celebrities. That's because he's really comfortable with the friends that he's with the real friends that he's uh, that he's that he's had along the the way. And he never lost that touch of being connected with his high school and college buddies and just hanging out with them. And and I think that puts him more in his comfort zone. But anyway, one of these um, summers we were hanging out, I think this was after they had won their third Second or third NBA title, the Bulls. Uh, we were hanging out one summer, and at, at that time, as you know, I was I was selling clothing, so I, I knew there was going to be a lot of guys there. And one of the things that was an easy sell for me was to sell neckties, right? Mm-hmm. So we we went to I I got this big shoebox full of neckties. I said, Hey, I'm going to sell all these ties. So so I, we get there at the hotel, we hang out, and everybody we get dressed and and we go over. Uh, to the country club in Chapel Hill to play, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to play, and um, we w- we were placing bets on you know who was going to win you know who was going to win what round and everything. And I said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, let's 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 do a challenge. Um, what can we what can we bet on? He says, well, if I win, I want all of those ties. I said I don't know about that I don't know about that one Uh I said I don't think I can do that right I said here's the deal here's the deal if if I win you have to buy every tie at retail whatever price I decide (laughs) which probably wouldn't hurt him regardless of what price I chose of course you know He said, wow, okay, so you're going to choose the price. And I said, yeah, I'll choose the price. I can't tell you what it is yet, but um, I just want your word on that. He's like, cool. So here's the deal. If I win, I want you to have a haircut like mine. (laughs) (laughs) I said, there is no way. I said, have you seen my head? (laughs) There's, There's no way. Then I'm going to do that. He says, okay, well, no no deal. So then I thought about it. I said, hmm, you know, I'm not a bad golfer. I'm not great. But <laughs> I'm definitely better than Michael is.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so long story short, uh, that <laughs> night at the hotel, there was a pair of clippers. And one of my good friends, Harold Bloom, <laughs> who was there, uh, pulled the clippers out and, and had the honor of shaving my head ball. That's the first time I... <laughs>
1: So you you know you know what I think, Lonnie. You you know why you know why you didn't win that golf game? Because you you were thinking about your hair. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey,
0: as we got close to the end, yeah, I think we got like to to maybe the fourteenth hole. <laughs> I was I was a few strokes behind and getting nervous. Oh man! And, uh, I said, "Wow, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad." And I'm thinking the whole time, "How am I going to talk myself out of this?"
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so so that's that's the story this is the first time i've shared that story outside of my you, you know just in conversation and passing and 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 you you were you were the guy that brought it out well, of- That's
1: fantastic and listen not only does it look great on you but now you know you can say you look like me <laughs> that's right <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, you really right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't forget that you were going from that. I'm so glad we, had, we heard that, that you were going from that to, you know, a little thing like, yeah, you built a mobile phone empire. Let's hear about that. <laughs> <And> yeah. So, <laughs> how did that come about, man? How did that come about?
0: Well, you and I both know my good friend, uh, Cedric Penn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cedric, Cedric is a giant in the the, the uh, He's one of the best of the best in the network marketing industry, uh-huh. and 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 I'm honored to call Cedric a friend. We we met, wow, so many years ago, and and he's my brother. I love him, man. I love him tremendously, and uh, just have a lot of respect for him. As a matter of fact, he's my son's godfather, and uh, Cedric was a general manager in the wireless industry we first met um we met I was I sold him a suit <laughs> sold him a suit and he's like man so how are you what's your what's your plan? What's your future? What how do you how how are you doing with this? And I said pretty good. Things have gotten a little slow for me. I said you know people are starting to be able to to you know there's big and tall now. So so back when I first started this in, in the in in the God late 80s um, there weren't a lot of big and tall stores, so these athletes really didn't have many options. But as that industry started to to expand and get more popular, um, it was easier for like professional athletes to to have a either a local clothier or have uh, be able to access a big and tall store that would could make things for them. So that kind of hurt my business, so to speak. So he said, what's your game plan for the future? And, and I said, well, I'm gonna, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going you know, to you continue to build that vision of, of being very successful. And he says, well, hey, I have an opportunity for you. Why don't you, he says, I'm a GM for the sailor store. I can show you the ropes and, and really, really get you on your feet there. You could do it part time and, and uh, I'll teach you everything I know. And so I accepted that, and he was a Sailor One. Sailor One doesn't exist anymore, but he was a Sailor One uh, general manager. And He hired me, and I went in, and I I, I learned everything I could. I just, I just really shadowed him because I knew he was successful. And uh, I just shadowed everything he did and actually duplicated the process and, and got really successful at that, so successful that that I started to get scouted by other cellular companies. And I did, meet a, I did meet a guy who introduced me to Nextel. I don't know if you're familiar with Nextel. It's now Sprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was telling me about, yeah, you can make all this money. You can do this. This would be great. So I said, hey, I don't really want to leave what I'm doing. Um, I have a mentor here. I have a coach that's really helped me out and made me pretty successful in what I'm doing. I'm really happy. He's like, Oh, don't worry about that. This is not competition because this is two way radio and you're doing cellular phone, traditional cellular. We're going to do two way radio. This is something you can sell on the side. And I said, Okay. So I gave it a shot. And I got so successful at that. The few hours I was making selling, uh, the few hours I was spending selling Nextel, I, I was making double what I was making working with Cedric and Sailor One. So, having the respect for him and the love that I have for Cedric, uh, I uh, I I told him about the told him about it. And he said, "Hey man, I want some of that too." <laughs> <laughs> so, so we both we both ended up uh leaving Sailor One after after a few months after that, Cedric started of course selling more more phones and and making more money than me and and then teaching me how he did that. And I basically started making money, you know, being really successful. And then I started to build my own stores as an agent, uh, as an agent directly with the company myself. So, so yeah, and that's and, and the rest pretty much was history. I ended up I had I had seven kiosks all over Washington, D.C., Maryland and Virginia. And the kiosks were these little mini stands, you know, like in Costco or uh, yeah, yeah. big warehouse store. Yeah, I had those and, and I would go in and sell phones. And then I, I was making enough money to, to get a team of people to work in those stores. Um, before that, I would say, hey, OK, I'll, I'll be in this store on Saturday and Sunday and this store on Saturday and Sunday and next Saturday and Sunday I'll be here. But then uh, fortunately, I had my brother join me, my cousin and a few other uh, people that I was working with had been Previously working with in Sailor One, come and really work with me, and I was from there. I was able to open up two stores in North Carolina and South Carolina, respectively, and eventually sell those stores. and, and that really was the start of my empire of the Sailor business.
1: So, and so, how big did that become in terms of an income for you?
0: Well, that it, it got really big. It, you know, it was multiple six figures. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what, what what happened there is I created a plan. You know, I tell people all the time. I joke about it. I say, hey, th- before there was Facebook and Google and 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 Microsoft and and you know their reputation and Amazon and their reputation for how well they treat their employees, their staff, their team, and people don't want to leave. I said before that there was Spectrum Communications and Wireless World. I was the guy that was doing that, giving my my employees and my team and my customers that ultimate experience that they didn't want to leave. And, you know, I built a whole plan around that, a whole business plan around that, which is the same plan that, that I eventually turned to in the internet marketing world. So bigger cellular companies came in uh, into the areas that I was in, and it was kind of hard for me to compete. So I believe that if you can't beat them, you got to join them. In one way or the other, either as a partnership or either as uh you know, as an employee, and I certainly wasn't gonna be an employee. So I met with the the president of, of this very successful multi-million dollar wireless franchise. They were selling long distance and cellular phones and they, they had they had agreements with all the carriers. And they were selling satellite systems, direct TV and dish network and all that stuff. Mm. So um, I met with them and I sat down and and I talked about my plan with them and they wanted to hire me. They wanted to hire me because I was still, I was a small fish, but I was selling numbers like a big fish. And eventually our agreement was, is that they were going to buy me out. They were going to take over my stores and my brand and, um, you know, sign an exclusive agreement. And I had the option of of coming on and being a, um, like a manager, a, a trainer, for their, for their team and for their management team. So I would be more or less like a general manager, general sales manager for the company. Um, and I, I opted out of that deal. But I ended up selling my company for $1.2 million.
1: Mm. <laughs> Not bad, bro. Pretty Not- good, huh? Yeah, I'll see. I'll yeah. see, man. For you know, a guy, a guy from a little unknown place called Hamlet. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> now
1: you know what? Before, before I, I make myself a liar here, I told my my listeners at the beginning that you were pink slipped at one point. I don't think we even got into that. Oh where, man, where so, did the so pink slip come in? Well, see, that's that's
0: afterwards. Oh, now my let, me God, tell you, afterwards. let me tell you this. You know, I was young. Let's let's still let's keep that in perspective. I was very very young uh, when when I sold my company. So wow. here's how, old this young
1: you? how old were you when you sold the company?
0: Let me let me make sure. Let me see. Let me. I want to I want to make sure I'm accurate here. Um, Nineteen ninety five. Uh, that would be okay. Two thousand five. I think I was twenty nine.
1: Whoa,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so think about this. Here's this young guy. I've got money in the bank. Uh, <laughs> just could do whatever I want, travel everywhere I want to go, and, and you know, hanging out with this cute girl uh <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, just having a really good time. Um, that money does start to run out. I got married and, <laughs> Had to pay taxes and <laughs> had, had a son, you know, had a child and, and uh, just things started to, to change. So imagine going, and you probably read my bio, imagine going from having money in the bank to do whatever I want, to, to live wherever I want, to travel and go anywhere I want, to buy what I want, basically. Um, imagine that to, to having your wife pay the bills you know but,
1: but, so so th- this is after you sold a company for more than a million dollars
0: yes yes this Wow, wow. Years, this is a few years after yeah
1: oh oh, okay yeah.
0: now I, ne- I never went all the way broke but i tell you it was it was challenging for me it was extremely challenging for me um i was living my life i mean i was i was really living my life but you know all things happen for a reason yeah and you know i was I've dedicated my time because of the money that I had and the success that I had, I had leverage, you know, and I had freedom and Mm -hmm. and freedom and freedom to me is is knowing that that you can wake up and basically do what you want and on your own terms. And there's nothing sweeter than than knowing that the only limits that are set upon you is the limits that you set upon yourself.
1: Yeah, I go along with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. So I I was I was in that constant, Okay, how can I how can I how can I live that life that that really that really makes a difference in other people's lives? And that turned my focus to my son, who was who was in kindergarten at the time and uh, started school. And I wanted to to have that time with him. Mm. So I was wondering, what is my next step? What am I going to do? What am I going to create? What am I going to do? Um, I, I was in the internet marketing, and we'll get into that tech in a second. But I was doing that just dipping and dabbing. I wasn't making a lot of money or anything like that. Um, just just playing around with it, getting, getting familiar with it. Because I did have money and time and freedom. So I spent most of my time dedicated to my son and, and being that, that father, that role model. Being being what my mom was to me. And I asked God, I said, hey, you got to give me a sign. You got to let me know what's my next step. OK, I've, I've committed myself to being there with my son and, and, and helping him in his evolution. But what's the thing professionally for me? You got to give me that sign. And, you know, we, we have to, uh, you, you know, we, we ask for those things and we never know what the answer is going to be. And we never realize sometimes that God, we sometimes never realize that, that God has answered your prayers because he does it in a way that it's not your plan, it's his. You, you follow me? Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So um, I was at school with, with my son every day. Uh, I, I connected with the principal and he said, hey, would you be interested in being the PTA president? And I said, sure, I would love to do that. And it, it reminded me of my mom when she made the decision to to be there for us. She was always a PTA president in, while we were in school. Um, and I was able to do that for my son. But in that experience, um, I met a representative from the Boy Scouts of America. And he asked me, he said, how would you like to be the director of scouting for a program that we have that we're, we're creating called Scout Reach? And... I said, well, tell me a little bit more about it. And he says, hey, we'll meet tomorrow for lunch and, and talk about it. So that night when I went, went home, um, I just took some time to reflect on the day and, and just really think about what's going on here. What, what about this deal? And then it hit me. That was, that was God's answer for me. Because I wanted to be able to do something that would allow me to be able to spend time with my son as well as make me an income. And give me that security. And that's what I asked God for. So when I met with the representative, his name is John. When I met with John the next day, I said, absolutely, yes, I'll take it. <laughs> and um, I did. And I did. And we grew that. We grew Scout Reach to uh, we ended up serving over 300 kids in the, in, in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area. Uh, and we were we were serving kids who were in like the most underserved areas, meaning that these kids were at a great disadvantage when it came to to having opportunities to do anything outside of home and school. Mm-hmm. So we made all these kids uh, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, depending on depending on their age. Um, it was my job to also find leaders for these for 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 the packs and the troops that we created. And we did it via the school system. And uh, we created uh, 14 different packs and troops. And we did that in a one-and-a-half-year period of time. Mm. So what we were able to do, you imagine being you know, kids that, that barely can get to school and, and have enough food to eat and then come home to a, a very, very strained environment at home. Uh, imagine them having the opportunity now to learn life skills, learn how to, be, learn how to uh, earn merit badges learn how to be rewarded for their leadership skills, learn how to, how to how to pitch a tent, learn how to build a fire, learn how to cook on an open fire, learn how to swim, um, get those opportunities to go camping and hiking and, and just learn new things and get exposed to things that they would have never gotten the opportunity to be exposed to because of their situation. Um, I'm, I feel really grateful and blessed that, that I was able to pro- help provide that experience for them. Plus, mm-hmm let's go back to to what my intentions were. It was to provide uh, that connection with my son and scouting gave me that opportunity in his early years to, to, to really connect with him. Um, I remember our Pinewood Derby races, uh, the knot tying competitions we had, uh, their public speaking uh, contest and just all the great things that they got to learn as scouts. Um, Just, and I was able to simultaneously help kids as well as help my son as well.
1: Wow. Now, but you were pink slit from that job?
0: Yes. Um, we. <laughs> yeah, we, we, the, the, the Boy Scouts of America, um, it's a big organization, of course, a big organization based out of Texas. Um, we, we were funded by the United Way and uh, the Department of Justice, um, we were funded by them as well as a, a few other pri- pri- uh, private companies as well. Um, my salary was paid based on those companies and their contribution to scouting. So unfortunately, they, they ran out of money. The, the funding was, was, was cut. The government cut funding. Uh, it was just really, really a bad time. And several, you know, they started from the top, so to speak. Several executives, several directors, several leaders were, were actually uh, either taking a pay cut or their their jobs were exhausted. And mm-hmm. I remember going to a meeting at our corporate headquarters, and there's an envelope with my name on it. So I'm saying, uh-oh, <laughs> am I getting ready to get a raise or <laughs> am I getting ready to get sent out of here? And I actually uh, I opened that envelope, and it said, hey um, – Dear Mr. Robinson, gosh, we, we can't thank you enough for all the great things you've done, everything that you've done to help change the lives of kids and their parents and, and everything, your commitment to, to us and, and scouting. You know, you're, you're seeing all these accolades and you're going, wow, this is, this is awesome. And then as you scroll down that page, you see, however, and these are the words that get you, however, unfortunately at this time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it goes on to, to say that, you know, due to funding and um we're, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to dissolve your your position.
1: Mm-mm. So did you then go from that to Internet marketing?
0: Man, I got hungry. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I uh, I was already doing Internet marketing at night. Like I said, I was dibbing and dabbing. But then I got really hungry. I said, "Whoa, OK, you know what? I'm not going to rely on this. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm grateful for this. I've had this opportunity. Uh, my son and I are better connected for it, for this experience. It's allowed me the freedom. Uh, but it's time for me to really hone in on marketing. And and it was something that I wanted to do for a long time. I remember back in in my cellular days and my wireless days as The Internet started to to evolve and people started to get comfortable with uh, buying things on the Internet, um, comfortable with e-commerce. I began to get questions from my cellular, my wireless clients, questions like, hey, do you build websites? Mm. Say, hmm, no, that sounds interesting. I might learn. Um, Or, hey, how do I set up my Internet? I got this AOL disc from Sam's Club. I got 45 days to uh, put this disc in and get online. Do you know how that works? And I'm going, well, I use it myself, but I'm not really, I don't know everything. And I, Lewis, I was back, I started, I got started back in the days when you used to love to get email. It was just, you would check your AOL and oh, I haven't gotten an email yet. You call you call your wife and say, "Hey, send me an email."
1: <laughs> you wanted to get a little voice, right? You yeah got it. yeah yeah and, yeah. You know,
0: it, was that, it was that low bandwidth. You know, you you put the disc in, you you, you fire it up, you hit the button. It's like,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then you hear that those, those beautiful three words: "You've got mail." <laughs> <laughs> So that that's where my experience began. Right. And um, I just really ramped it up and I fell on my feet. I I fell on my feet. I I fell off my feet miserably. I failed because, you know what I did? I said, hey, I've been successful in everything I've done in life. I can do this. I don't need any help. I don't need this. I don't need that. I'll just go in here and build a website, put some stuff on it um, and people are going to come running with their Credit cards in hand, really to buy my stuff.
1: You know, and, you know what, Lonnie? You know what I'm gonna <laughs> do? Man, this is this is fantastic. We're we're drawing toward the end. I'm gonna actually <laughs> create I'm gonna cl- create a cliffhanger for our audience. <laughs> I know that your internet marketing story is a great story. I'm gonna ask you to come back. <laughs> if, you wanna, if you wanna come back next Saturday, if you can, we'll do okay. part two where we get to really explore your whole adventure in internet marketing and talk about what you're doing today and uh, how you're helping people today. How's that sound?
0: That sounds wonderful.
1: Fantastic, man. Now, I am also honored by what you said before, and I would love to hear it. You said, and I didn't know this, that I had an influence on you. And Tell me about that.
0: Absolutely. And, and it is an honor for me to say it. Thank you, first of all. First of all, I, I want to thank you, if I didn't in the beginning, um, I know we just kind of jumped in it, but I, w- I want to thank you for this opportunity, uh, Lewis. I, you and I have had conversations and, you know, you've both said, we've both said, man, we should be recording this. You, you remember right. that?
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. And so uh, we've, now we've got that opportunity, but I got to tell you when it, one of the things that I wasn't really good at was the art of telling the story, not telling a story, but telling the story. And, I owe that to you. You know, we spent some time talking about the story and how to tell the story. Um, you, There's something I'd like for you to share when we talk again that I know the audience would be interested in. And I've asked you to do this before as the result of the result and, <laughs> how you, and how you talk about that. That has had a tremendous impact on my success. It's had a tremendous impact on the success of my clients because I brag about it all the time. And, and I tell it, I could never position it like you. But um, I do tell it, and and everyone I tell it to, that it has been business changing and life changing for them. They thank me for wow.
1: that. Yeah,
0: and I've always given you the credit.
1: Thank you so much. And you know what's amazing about this? This is just incredible. The other day, you know, I'm also a network marketer. Mm-hmm. I I sent a a message to two of my team members and also to my sponsor, and in it, I outlined the three steps of selling, beginning with selling the thing, selling the benefits, but then taking it to the result of the result. And my sponsor loved it so much that he turned it into a blog post, and now it's coming (laughs) up today. But thank you so much for sharing that. I will do that next week. Absolutely. And um, oh, man, this is just a joy for me, man, to connect with you like this and The things you've shared are so enriching, and I know they're going to inspire anybody who hears this interview. Really, that's inspiring on a life level and on a business level. And I I just want to leave people with this thought today. You know, professional writers are often intimidated by the blank page in front of them. I mean, literally, when they face it in the morning, they go, Oh my God, it's a blank page. What if I can't fill it up? Well, you know what? Life is like that for us. We're faced with the same challenge as writers. Every single day, we wake up to another blank page. Now, guess what? You can write anything you want on that page. So why don't you make it something really great? And you can do that by seriously asking yourself, how can I change my story and change my life. Normally, I would end my podcast right here. But today, we're going to experience something a little bit different. Lonnie and I talked passionately about many things. And at the beginning, we shared our love for the music of John Coltrane. And since doing podcasts for you, is one of my favorite things and one of the most innovative jazz pieces that Coltrane ever played was his version of my favorite things. Here is a small taste just for you. hope you enjoyed that, enough to seek out, find, and listen to the entire piece. And remember to share this show with people you care about. Tell them that they can hear it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. And At that website, there is a free empowering gift, a download of an e-book that I created called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Tune in
0: to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.